Agnes Lyons, Chapter Three of Celibates, by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. Through the house in Grosvenor Street, men were always coming and going. Quite a number of men seemed to have acquired the right of taking their meals there. When Lord Chadwick absented himself, he explained his enforced absence from the table and Agnes noticed that while Lord Chadwick addressed her mother openly as Olive, Mr. Moulton did so surreptitiously, in a whisper, or when none but their intimate friends were present. They rarely assembled less than six or seven to lunch. After lunch they went to the drawing-room, and the eternal discussion on the relations of the sexes was only interrupted by the piano. St. Clair played better than Lord Chadwick, but Mrs. Lyons preferred Lord Chadwick to accompany her. He followed her voice, always making the most of it. At five o'clock the ladies had tea. Very often the men chose brandies and sodas. Cigarettes were permitted, and in these influences all the scandals of the fair ran glibly from the tongue, and surprising were the imaginations of Mrs. Lyons' scandalous brain. The reserve that Agnes's innocence imposed on the wit of the various narratives and on the philosophy of the comments often became painfully irksome, and on noticing Harding's embarrassments, Mrs. Lyons would suggest that Agnes went to her room. Agnes gladly availed herself of the permission, and without the slightest admission to herself that she hated the drawing-room. Such admission would be to impugn her mother's conduct and Agnes was far too good a little girl to do that. She preferred to remember that she liked her own room. Her mother had let her have a fire there all day. It was a very comfortable room, and she was never lonely when she was alone. She had her books, and there were the dear sisters she had left to think about. Besides, she would meet the men again at dinner, so it would be just as well to have her little store of conversation." She did not want to appear more foolish and ignorant than she could help. After dinner, Mrs. Lyons and Lillian Dare went off somewhere in a hansom. They often went to the theatre. Sometimes Agnes went with them. She had been twice to the theatre. She had been thrilled by a melodrama and pleased by an operetta. But the rest of the party, Mother, Mr. Moulton, Lillian, and Mr. St. Clair, had declared that both pieces were very bad, very dull. But they were all anxious to see a comedy about which everyone was talking. They were certain that they would be amused by it, and there was some discussion whether Agnes should be taken. Agnes instantly withdrew from the discussion. She did not care to go, she felt she was not wanted, and she even suspected that she would not like the play. So it was just as well that she was not going. But after dinner it was decided that she was to go. Lord Chadwick was with them. Agnes had never seen him more attentive to her mother, and Mr. St. Clair was absorbed in Lillian. She had, Agnes heard her mother say, succeeded in making him so jealous that he had asked her to marry him. But Mrs. Lyons did not think that Lillian would marry him. Nowadays girls in society did not often marry their lovers. They knew that the qualities that charm in a lover are out of place in a husband. 
Agnes sat in the back of the box and wondered why Lillian's refusal to marry St. Clair had made no difference in his affection nor in hers. They seemed as intimate as ever, and Agnes could hear them planning a rendezvous. Lillian was going south, but St. Clair was to meet her in Paris. Agnes wondered. A thought she did not like crossed her mind. She put it instantly aside and bent her attention on the play. There was a great deal in it that she did not understand, or that she only understood vaguely. She did seem to wish to understand it, but the others listened greedily, as well they might, for the conversation on the stage was like the conversation in the Grosvenor Street drawing-room, as like as if a phonograph was repeating it. I should not make such a fuss if I heard that my dear Major had, Agnes did not hear the rest of the sentence. If I were to revenge myself on you, Lillian, you had better not. Besides, there is nothing to revenge. Isn't there, said St. Clair, and his face grew suddenly grave. You are my first, and you'll be my last, Agnes heard her whisper, and she saw St. Clair look at her incredulously. You don't believe me. Well, I don't care what you believe, and she turned her back on him and listened to the play. And when the play was done, Agnes went home in a hansom, sitting between her mother and Lord Chadwick. St. Clair and Lillian followed in another hansom, and the two hansoms drew up together in Grosvenor Street. After the theatre there was always supper, and Agnes knew that they would sit talking till one or two in the morning. She was not hungry. She was tired. She asked if she might go to her room. They were all glad to excuse her and she ran up to her room and closed the door. She threw off her opera cloak hastily, and then stood looking into the fire. Suddenly her brain filled with thoughts which she could not repress, and involuntary sensation crowded upon her. There was the vivid sensation of her mother's painted face, there was the sensation of her father, his strange clothes, his shy, pathetic face. She preferred to think of her father, and she asked herself why he did not go to the theatre with them, why he did not appear oftener at meals. His food was generally taken to him. Where did he live? Up that narrow flight of stairs? She had seen him run up those stairs in strange haste, as if he didn't wish to be seen, like a servant, an under-servant whose presence in the front of the house is discrepant. Suddenly Agnes felt that she was very unhappy, and she unlaced her bodice quickly. The action of unlacing distracted her thoughts. She would not go to bed yet. She took a chair and sat down in front of the fire, thinking. The convent appeared to her clear and distinct in all its quiet life of happy devotion and innocent recreation. She remembered the pleasure she used to take in the work of the sacristy, in laying out the vestments for the priest, for Father White, and in the games at ball in the garden with those dear nuns. She remembered them all, and, seen through the tender atmosphere of sorrow, they seemed dearer than ever they had done before. How happy she had been with them! She did not expect ever to be so happy again. The world was so lonely, so indifferent, she was very unhappy, and her life seemed so fragile that the least touch would break it. 
Her tears flowed as from a crystal, and they did not cease until the silence in the street allowed her to hear her father's quick steps pacing it. She could hear his steps coming from Grosvenor Square, her poor father. Every night it was the same ceaseless pacing to and fro. She had heard her mother say that he sometimes walked till three in the morning. She had watched him a night or two ago out of her window. It was freezing hard, and he had on only an old grey suit of clothes, buttoned tightly, and a comforter round his neck. Her father's subordination in the house was one of the mysteries which confronted Agnes. She did not understand, but she knew by instinct that her father was not happy, and her unhappiness went out to his. She pitied him, she longed to make him happier. Others might think him strange, but she understood him. Their talk was strange to her, not his. Last Sunday he had taken her to Mass, and they had walked in the park afterwards, and he had been happy until they met Mr. Moulton. A little later they had met her mother and Lord Chadwick. Mr. St. Clair and Miss Lillian Dare had come to lunch. She had seen no more of her father that day. She had hoped that Father White would come and see her, but he had not come. She had sat in her room alone, and after dinner her mother had scolded her, because she did not talk to Lord Chislehurst, an old man who had talked to her in a loud, rasping voice. He was overpowering. Her strength had given way, she had fainted, and she had been carried out of the room. When she opened her eyes, St. Clair was standing by her. She was glad it was he, and not Lord Chislehurst, who had carried her out. But they would not let her back to the convent before six months. She had been a week at home, and it had seemed a century. The time would never pass. She did not think she would be able to endure it for six months. Her father did not like her to go back. Was it not her duty to remain by him? He was as unhappy as she, and she was very unhappy. Tears streamed down her cheeks, and she cried until her tears were interrupted by the sound of her father's latchkey. She listened to his footsteps as he came upstairs. When he arrived on her landing, instead of going to the end of the passage and up the staircase, he stopped. It seemed as if he were hesitating about something. Agnes wondered and hoped he was coming to see her. A moment after he knocked. "'Is that you, father?' "'Yes.' Then wait a moment. She slipped her arms into her dressing gown and opened the door to him. It is nice and snug here, he said, coming towards the fire, nice and snug, but bitterly cold in the street. I could not keep warm, yet I walked at the rate of five miles an hour. I ran round Grosvenor Square, but the moment I stopped running I began to get cold again. I couldn't keep up the circulation anyhow. Then sit down and warm yourself, father. No, thank you. I like standing up best. I'll just stop a minute. I hope I am not in the way. Tell me if I am. In the way, father. What do you mean? Nothing, dear. I only thought. Well, I'll get just the cold out of my bones before I go up to my room. It is cold up there, I can tell you. The girl's keen, passionate eyes, looking out of a grief-worn face, and a figure so thin that she looked tall, contrasted with a little fat man dressed in the yellow tweed suit buttoned across his rounding stomach. 
to see them together by the fire in the bedroom made a strange and moving picture for the figures seemed united by mysterious analogies and the fragments of bread and cheese which the major held in his old blued fingers were significant i could hear them singing in the drawing-room he said when i came in so i stepped into the dining-room one feels a bit hungry after walking how did you like the play dear pretty well father she answered and she strove to check the tears which rose to her eyes you've been grieving agnes what have you been grieving for for your convent tell me dear i can't bear to see you unhappy no father don't think of me not think of you agnes of whom should i think then tell me all everything if you are not happy here you shall go back i won't see you unhappy it is my fault only i thought that you had better come home and see the world first i had thought that we might have altered things here just for your sake but you father you're not happy here you would be still more unhappy if i went back to the convent that is true isn't it yes that is true dear but you must not think about me there's no use thinking about me i'm not worth thinking about don't say that father you mustn't speak like that and unable to control her feelings any longer agnes threw herself into her father's arms and she did not speak until she perceived that her father was weeping with her what are you weeping for father for you dear because you're not happy there are other reasons she said looking inquiringly and tenderly no dear there's nothing else now in the world for me to grieve for you must go back to the convent if you're not happy but you father it will be hard to lose you things may change you must have patience wait a little while will you of course father as long as you like but you'll come down and talk to me here yes i should have come oftener but i know that i am not clever my conversation isn't amusing so i stick at my work up there you live up there yes you've not seen my room a little room under the slates something like a monk's cell i've often thought of going into a monastery i dare say it is from me that you get the taste you live up there father your room is up there may i go up and see you sometimes i shan't be disturbing you at your work shall i no i should think not just fancy you wishing to come to see me and up there too when may i come father when are you least busy you can come now may i we mustn't make any noise all the servants are asleep and he held the candle higher for her to see the last steps and he pushed open a door it is here it was a little loft under the roof and the roof slanted so rapidly that it was possible to stand upright only in one part of the room there was in one corner a truckle bed which agnes could hardly believe her father slept in and in the midst of the uncarpeted floor stood the typewriting machine the working of which the major at once explained to agnes he told her how much he had already earned and entered into a calculation of the number of hours he would have to work before he could pay off the debt he had incurred in buying the machine his wife had advanced him the money to buy it she must be paid back when that was done he would be able to see ahead and he looked forward to the time when he would be independent 
there were other debts but the first debt was the heaviest his wife had advanced the money for the clothes he had worn at the luncheon party and there was the furniture of his room but that could not be much the bed well that little iron framework he had borrowed it it had come from the kitchen maid's room she had wanted a larger bed but father dear you've hardly any bedclothes yes i have dear i have that overcoat and i sleep very well under it too i bought it from the butler i paid him ten shillings for it and i made the ten shillings by copying the money ought to have gone to your mother but i have to have something to cover me it is very cold up here and i thought i had better keep her waiting than contract a new debt but what is mother's is yours father ah i've heard people say that but it isn't true how did you lose your money father the major told her how he had been robbed then it was not your fault father and the man who robbed you you say is now a great swell and very highly thought of agnes saw the coarse clothes the common boots and the rough comforter and her eyes wandered round the room the bare miserable little attic garret in which he lived and with that typewriting machine she thought he is trying to redeem himself from the disrespect he has fallen into because he was robbed of his money it must be getting very late father i had better go to my room but father you are not comfortable here sleep in my room let me sleep here let you sleep here my daughter sleep up here among the servants he stayed a few minutes in her room and while warming his hands he said everything in the world is dependent on money we can preserve neither our own nor the respect of others if we have nothing i have tried it wasn't to be done end of agnes layens chapter 3 recording by james carson